we deliberately did this with a temperature in the room so you no one would fall asleep, just so you know. Either that or the heat doesn't work. But I just say it's not that cold outside. So uh, hey, just wanted to make one note here. So this is uh, our attendance sheet. If you've listened to a talk uh, because you weren't here and you listened to the talk audio, can you just put a little R in that spot? That would help us distinguish between if you were present or remember how we talked about last time somebody asked if they could just listen to all the talks online? Not what we're going for, <laughs> but it's better than not listening to it at all. So. Recording. Listen to talk. Oh, yeah. I guess it doesn't say... It doesn't say... There's no R actually in here at all. Anyways, R. Recording. For R for audio, that's right. All right. All right, Steve? Go for it. There's tons of people as I got started, I'm a little intimidated. Last time I gave this talk, it was really good, so I'm hoping to be that good. But as I listened to it, one of the things I realized is I was halfway through before I handed out the outlines. So we're going to do that at the beginning of the talk. So here are some outlines. Yeah, already ahead of the game. And I had a note to talk about attendance, but Brad's already taken care of that. Talking to my kids, and they're starting to catch on to this whole idea of giving presentations. The first way they've caught on, I guess my, my oldest was discussing Greek philosophers and the whole Greek Senate. And there's a, uh, an orator in Greek times by the name of Diocletian, Diocletes maybe. And apparently he got good by sitting in the Senate and listening to the senators talk. And there's this one senator that would talk for four hours. Jack's immediate response to his teacher was, I bet my dad could do that. <laughs> so they're, they're becoming accustomed to me talking. They also know that you need to begin with something fun. So Charlie wanted me to be sure I had some jokes up front. So, <laughs> so how, how does an archer tie his shoes? In a bow. In a bow. Of course. It's a, it's a bow. Did you hear about the helicopter crash? Is a rookie pilot, you know, his first time up, and, and the NTSB finally came and was asking him, you know, what happened? He's like, I don't know, I was flying and we crashed. And so after a little bit, the, the questioner there said, okay, take me through the actions you took right up to that. He's like, well, I was flying and I adjusted the yaw a little bit and I adjusted the pitch a little bit, and I decided I was cold, so I shut off that big overhead fan. <laughs> Thank you, Charles Litsu. <laughs> We're going to talk tonight about called to a mission. So this is our third presentation in the call and mission course as we start to pursue uh, what Brad talked about last time, actively engaging the discernment process to public commitment. And that's going to be a three-year process. We're going to go through a couple courses. This course is call and mission. Uh, it's incredibly important. We talk about this a lot. The call and mission course revolves a lot around that tagline of being a community of disciples on mission. And so we're going to talk about things, especially on the front end of this, that we've heard a lot. We talk a lot about being a community of disciples on mission. We're going to talk about mission again tonight, but it's very important, I think, when we do this, to make sure we're in a context. 
So I want to talk about a couple things to just put us, again, back in that context so we know where we're looking. So we're going to, two, two talks ago, uh, we did all together with those in formation. Matt gave a talk called A Vision Given by God. And he talked about a couple things. Our vision is one that's charismatic, it's Catholic, and it's covenant. Catholic is obviously important. As Catholic Christians, our call is a universal call to holiness. We're called to be like the master. And we talk about discipleship, we'll talk more about being like the master. To do that, we're called to be Catholic. We're called to be charismatic. Uh, Our expression is charismatic. A couple notes I want to make on this. I mean, it's in our name, right? So Heart of the Redeemer, Covenant Community, it's not there. I always put a charismatic in there. But, But this idea of being charismatic, as we came down to to build, yeah, we could have a Heart of the Redeemer charismatic Catholic covenant community. Just run those C's right off the page. Yep. As we came down and we're talking with people, you know, so where are you from? Colorado. Oh, so you live out there? No, I live here. Wait a second. Where are you from? I'm from Colorado. Once I got over the point that I'm not a Colorado, I'm a Colorado, but I'm not in Colorado anymore. The next thing was, so how'd you land in Kansas City? And so I've, over the last five years, really struggled with how do I articulate well, I'm part of this group. Um, and one portion of that is charismatic. And there's this, often this, this one-for-one relation that charismatic comes to expressive praise. And that's a portion of it. But charismatic is beyond that. We want to make sure that when we talk charismatic, we're talking about having a charism. And we have some charisms, and I, I make that distinction here because some of those charisms come through a little bit later as, as we go through our conversation about mission. Uh, so we're Catholic, and we're charismatic, and we're covenant. Brad talked last time about being in community. Uh, We're in relationship. We use that term committed personal relationships. And that's binding ourselves together. And so it's a covenant. So when we talk about the vision given by God, we're talking about a Catholic, charismatic, covenant reality. Uh, And that's important. We talk also a lot about where this movement fits in in a broader scheme of the world and where things are at. The world was made for the glory of God. And this is, again, kind of the premise out of Matt's vision talk. Um, The world was made for the glory of God, and we're reflective of that glory. We're made in his image. We were praying this last week, and in between songs, Charlie asked, Dad, why do we thank God for his glory? Like, if it's his, why do we thank him for it? And the answer is, it took me a second to stop and formulate this, but the answer is because creation is reflective of his glory. We are reflective of his glory. We're thankful because he shared that. For those of you who have been around, where do we go now? Catechism, paragraph one. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in and of himself in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to share in his own blessed image. And that's good. But again, going back to that context, we go along swimmingly in this image until what? Genesis chapter 3. So we made it a full three chapters, and then the wheels come off the thing, and the whole thing falls apart. But God, infinitely perfect and blessed in and of himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to share in his own image. And so God had a plan. And leading up to the fulfillment of that plan, and since the fulfillment of that plan, there's been this effort by the Holy Spirit to redeem. And we as people go astray, and the Spirit brings us back through prophets. And we go astray, and the Spirit brings us back through priests, through kings, through the judges. And then, God, fulfilling his promise, 
sends his son. And what does the son do? Once his time on earth is done, he goes away. And what does he do? He sends the spirit. And so these movements continue. And in the 5th century, we saw this movement of the spirit to bring about monastic life. Right? The end of the first millennia, we saw a monastic life movement again. And now, as we left the second millennia and entered into the third, the spirit is still about bringing life to restoration through a movement. And that movement is community. So we talked last week or last month about community. And we experience life in relationships. When I give talks outside of kind of my home realm here, uh, I introduce myself a little more extensively. My wife gives me a fair amount of grief that I at least have to give my name here. So I'm Steve. But outside of this, I always start with, with a trifecta of trifectas. There's three sets of three pieces of information that you need to know about me to understand who I am. And the first one of those is about relationship. I am first a son, a husband, and a father, right? I'm a son of God, I'm a husband to Kara, and I'm a father of Jack, Charlie, and Lucy. And we experience life in relationship. So if we're called to the blessed life, the blessed life of the Trinity, we're going to be called to that, how? In community. And that commitment, that call to community, is about mutual service. It's not about me coming to see what I can get out of it, although community is good for me, it's about coming to give to the life. We also come uh, to know and be known. This is integral to who we are. We want to be known. I spent the last few days at the Catholic Bar Association running some audio video, and I heard great presentations. The last one today was actually from Josh's sister-in-law, and I know all sorts of stuff about her. Notre Dame and Ave Maria and her, and her email and, you know, is all there up on the slide. But I don't know Elizabeth because I haven't been in relationship with, with Elizabeth. And so community, this idea we put out is about being in relationship. To know and to be known. So that's kind of the context, again, that we're going after this idea, this call to mission from. As we get into that, there's two aspects we want to look at today. There's aspects of mission that we need to, as a community, be. And there are aspects of mission that, as community, we need to do. If I come to you and say mission, what are the first thoughts that start to come to mind? What do you think of, Eric, when I say mission? What's, what's there? Or missionary, what do you think? Going out. Going out, right? Where to? We're going to Africa. We're going to South America. And that's good. Missionary can be to a location, but it also can be to a task. And our missionary role is to a task, and that's what we want to kind of dive into, that task of to be this and to do this. And sometimes that's here, and sometimes it's out there, but the call is the same to do and to be. So first, to be. There's three things we're called to be. The first one, hold on to your seats. It's going to knock you right off when I say this word. We're called to be a bulwark. I'm sure you've never heard that before, because we never talk about it. <laughs> or at least I haven't in the first three minutes of the presentation here. We're called to be a bulwark, we're called to be a prophetic people, and we're called to be a servant people. Before I get too far into that, and before I say the B word again, I want to articulate something that we're going to use that articulates both that point as the first of these three, but also works a little bit as a theme to move us through the rest of our conversation. Uh, God's strategy at times through history and now... And a strategy that has actually worked 
in a more secular reality, uh, in, in the creation and the founding, the expansion in this country, has been one of building fortified cities. Uh, they're locations, they're centers in which new life is radiated from. Uh, they're bases for mission and objective. Uh, they're strategic and they're intentional, and they tend to have a longer, larger goal. There's a couple things about these fortified cities that are important. They need to be fortified. They need to be strong. Otherwise, they won't survive. Something will come against them, and they'll fall. So they need to be fortified. Next, they need to have a way of life, a culture, values, something that that binds the people together internally. Otherwise, they can't be a center of influence. Third, they need to be linked together and linked to a capital, to a king, to a crown, to a nation, to a people somewhere. Otherwise, they're not building anything outside of themselves, and they collapse upon their own weight. And finally, when we talk about these fortified cities, everyone involved is part of the mission. It's not just those who go out that are part of the mission, but it's also those who are internal. We have a shortened term for the idea of a fortified city we use in this country very regularly. It is what? Fort. And so we have forts, right? We've had forts throughout our our growth as a country, beginning on the east and moving to the west. The English built forts, the British forts and forts and forts. There's a fort that's going to work well for our evaluation today I'll present, and it's Fort Detroit, which surprisingly enough is the beginnings of the city of Detroit. Um, One of the distinctions about Detroit as we have this conversation is it wasn't English, it was French. And it was part of a strategic effort by the French to move down the St. Lawrence and reach into the interior of the continent because there was resource there and there were people there that the French wanted to trade with. So it was part of this series, and and at, at the point it was built, it was the furthest out in that series, but it was linked back up the St. Lawrence to the ocean where they had shipping and a connection back to what? To the homeland, back to France. It was strategic. It was looking forward. It was pushing out towards the middle of the country. It was eventually taken over, not by force, but by treaty. And we'll get to that in just a moment um, because it it articulates some of the points that we care about. Uh, But once it was taken over, and and this is some of what we'll get to, uh, it was a relatively peaceful fort up until that, that takeover happened. And again, it was by treaty. And at that point, there was an Indian chief that came against the fort. His name was Pontiac, and he, he, he attacked the fort regularly, and we'll see why in just a little bit. So this is going to be kind of our, our image and our focus as we go through our conversation here to discuss these three and as we move on into that which we should do. So we're called to be a bulwark. A bulwark is, is something that defends in the time of warfare and is an instrument, specifically as we talk about it, of God's work in difficult times from Psalm 8. O Lord our God, how awesome is your name through all the earth. I will sing of your majesty above the heavens with the mouths of babes and infants. You have established a bulwark against your foes to silence enemy and avenger. So as a bulwark, when we're talking about being a bulwark as a community, we're talking about being a place of refuge. That fortification is necessary so that we can be safe inside of it. 
We can rest and relax in it. That's the second piece is, is it's a place of provision. We can go for strength, for rest, for recovery, to be outfitted for the next expedition or the next effort. And we can also outfit the next fort down. And through this process, we continue connected back to the homeland uh, and to each other. And so goods would move down this way and trade and goods would move back up. And so there was this connection. But one of the primary things that the forts also did, and the reason that Pontiac didn't have a problem with the French and did with the British, is they're meant to be, bulwarks are meant to be a place of influence. I'd mentioned that God has used this model before. We look at the movement of monasteries, right? Monasteries would be built, and then there, there was another one out, and there was another one out, and they continued to build up, and they became places of influence. What happened in monasteries? Were there places of education? It was the beginning of an education movement. Like today, there's a school on every corner. Back then, it was the monasteries. They were the ones that were doing the educating. Obviously, they're monks. They're Christians. What did, what did they do next? They sought to evangelize, to share Christ. And finally, they equipped. They made things, important stuff like beer and bread and other things. Uh, there's, there's a monastery, I think it's... Uh, somewhere in the north Midwest here, that makes coffins. I mean, they're, they're providing to needs, they're equipping. Uh, so we're called to be of influence. I'd mentioned Pontiac and, and his issue with the Fort Detroit under English rule was they came to subdue. They had come and they were looking to take territory. The French had a different approach. They had come to engage. I have bread, baked goods, croissants that you can want. And you have fur that I need to stay warm. And so there was this engagement, this activity that brought them to the point where they had influence over, over those around them. Pontiac's issue in attacking Fort Detroit was to get rid of the British because he wanted the French back. There was an influence there. There was a relationship. And so we're called to be a bulwark, a place of refuge, of provision, and of influence. If we're going to influence, we want to make sure that we're influencing for good. And that brings us to our second point. We need to be a prophetic people. Being a prophetic people means that lives uh, of Christians are lived radically as what? Disciples, which we'll hear about. Uh, so that the world might come to know God and that God, in that whole context, has sent Christ Jesus to redeem us and bring us back to him. From John 17, And now I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world while I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are one. We're called to be one and we're called to be a prophetic people. Uh, our call is one of holiness. If we were to look to define holiness, what would we define that as? It's the perfection of charity. If we were to look to define charity, what would we define that as? Love. And what is love? It's wanting the good of the beloved. So our call to holiness is actually our call to be a prophetic people. We have a treasure in our, in our life, but in the gift that Christ has given us as well, we have this treasure. And if we're going to be holy, it should be our desire that that treasure be shared. Community, capital C, is for us. It very much is. Uh, it's that we can be strengthened. 
we can find refuge and provision, that we can be a place of influence, but community in God's sight is also so that people may be reached, that he might reach our hearts, but that he also might reach others. And so if we're going to do that and to take our idea of perfecting that love a little bit further, the other aspect of Christ's ministry was that of what? Of servant. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4. I don't know if I have scripture references on there, but 2 Corinthians 4. So we're called to serve the church and society by working to stem the tide of evil and promote holiness in daily circumstances of our lives. And we do that through servants, through service, serving each other. Our holiness is our call to lay down our life for our children, for our roommates, for sometimes our husband or our wife, and sometimes for the guy that's standing on the corner at the edge of the ramp on the interstate who's looking for something. You know, we're called to serve. I'd mentioned earlier that this idea, this call to community was about mutual service. And so our, our service is internal and external, and we'll look a little bit about that uh, as we see how to do what's next. So as individuals and as a body, we're called to be bulwarks, to be prophetic people, and to be servant people. So that's the to be. What about the to do? What are we called to do next? And there's four of these. We're called to proclaim. We're called to gather. We're called to leaven. And we're called to defend. Now Brad said set a pretty high precedence last week, and so I'm going to see what I can do to hold up. So I brought props. Ooh, right. Let's try this one first. Uh. Anna and Elsa can't wait to hear you sing along. Let it go! Right? So we're called to proclaim. So we have a microphone we can proclaim. We're to proclaim words. The kingdom of God in word and in life. Uh, Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This idea of the sword of the Spirit is one that we're somewhat familiar with, being connected to an organization that has grabbed that name. But we're called to proclaim. And again, this is being a prophetic people. We want to proclaim Christ Jesus. Uh, We do this corporately. We do this through our praise. We do this through our witness. Very few people who encounter us as a body should have any question that we're Christian. It would be very hard to come to a gathering and not come away with at least some idea of that. So we're called to do that. We're called to do that corporately. We're called to do that individually. So that's first. So we're called to proclaim. Next, we're called to gather. And where do we gather as people? In the kitchen, around food. Envision turkey or my wife's ham on here. So we're, we're called to gather. So that's our, our plate. We're going to gather right there. Ah, yes, I'm a jerk. Um, but we gather to build those committed relationships, certainly. But we also gather to bring others into our communities and our movements that they can live effectively as Christians. So we start and we proclaim, right? Jesus is Lord. Jesus wants you, and he is Lord. 
and it's hard. So go do it. No. So come, gather with us. See how we live the life. We want Christians as a whole, we want as Christians and as a whole to be a part of the solution. We live in a world today where Christians are more influenced by the society sometimes, it seems, than Christians do to influence the society. And I think the spirit is about the movements of charismatic, of covenant communities, about these movements to be an influence, going back to uh, that bulwark idea of influencing those around us. And we do this often best by gathering people around us, into our homes, into our lives. My brother growing up, he's not quite five years younger than me, encountered the gospel But the gospel was effective in David's life because he encountered someone as well named Bo Townsend. Bo Townsend was a character. Uh, He was the youth minister at our parish. But he just simply invited people into his life. Come live life with me. And so my brother did. And through that, he was impacted by the gospel. And so we want to make sure we're inviting people into our lives. That we're living life as we are called to. And that we invite people into it. Now, to kind of carry the theme forward a little bit, we gather around bread. And I was actually going to bring leaven because we're talking about being leaven to the world. It's going to bring some yeast. Uh, and then as I went to dig it out of the refrigerator, I realized when I cleaned the refrigerator out two weekends ago, I threw it away because it expired. So I have bread instead. But we, we're called to be leaven. Does anybody bake? When you bake, how much flour do you use? A lot. Cups. Cups and cups, right? Three cups, four cups. How much yeast do you use? Um, none. None? Well, it depends on what you're eating. Teaspoons, tablespoons. <laughs> cups and cups, teaspoons and tablespoons. When we talk about leavening, we talk about being an influence, small in number. We're not called to coat the world like flour, but we're called to soften, to raise up awareness of Christ. And the world can be raised and disposed to the gospel if it sees lives that have been impacted by the gospel. One of the things we did on net, we were out traveling, we're meeting with young men, young women, 6th to 12th grades, and we talked a lot about how do you, how do you evangelize them? I'm an engineer. I like black. I like white, I like facts, but that's not how you evangelize. How do you evangelize? You talk about the experience in a church in Lubbock, Texas, where you came to experience Christ Jesus in the Eucharist, in adoration. We do that for a couple reasons. First of all, it shows that the life, the graces, the gifts of God are efficacious. It's changed me, it can change you. Um, But we do it to set the stage that the Lord can do the work he does. In addition to the idea of of leaven, we have this idea of being salt of the earth. But if salt should lose its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot. Salt is incredible. But again, when we're cooking, how much salt do we use? My mother loves to cook. My mother's very hard to buy stuff for because she likes to cook, but when it comes to cooking things, she has it all. The little creme brulee torch, the little salt, but she has it all. So my brother, in a a fit of sheer genius, uh, one year for Mother's Day, 
got cooking classes for my mom. And they went and did it together. My mom didn't need to learn how to cook, but they went and did it together. And they made this sauce, and it was great. But my brother shares this experience of, of this sauce, and he thought it was good. And the instructor came over and tasted it and said, it's okay, but put some salt in. My brother doesn't cook with salt. But he, he finally relents, and he puts it in. And what does it do? Just a little bit of salt. It brings forth this flavor. So again, we're not called to take over the world. We're called to preserve, to enliven, to bring flavor to the world so that the Lord can do the rest. That's good. Okay. One more. I understand Brad's props. We're a little bit more illustrative. Uh, Mine are more of a mnemonic to hopefully help you remember what we're encountering here. Uh, And so we're on to our fourth one, if you read from your outlines, which is what? It's to defend. It's so we can defend. Josh, you're off the hook. When I took this away from my, my children, shortly before you came for the key, they really thought you should have been the target. But you're back there on the floor, so you're off the hook. But we're called to defend. What do we defend? Christian truth, Christian morality. And where are we called to defend it? Both inside and outside of the church sometimes. Uh, looking at time here. We're, we're doing all right. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 or so. Finally, draw your strength from the Lord and from his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in heaven. So what? Therefore put on the armor of God that you may be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to hold your ground. So stand fast with your loins girded in truth, clothed with righteousness as a breastplate and your feet shod in readiness for the gospel of peace. In all circumstances hold fast as a shield, to quench all flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We want to defend the life. We want to defend Christ. We want to defend Christianity where we do it well. Where do we do it well? We do it well in community with those who we're with. In a bulwark where we can be strengthened and refreshed and provisioned and in a bulwark from which we can be sent out to be an influence on the world around us. And again, this is often defending externally and internally. Uh, internally, we want to defend against scandal. We want to defend against this idea that the church is, is perfect because it's not. It's a church of sinners, but it is the church of God. We talk a, a fair amount about the society in which we live and the circumstances in which it puts us, uh, what we find. Uh, and sometimes it's sobering. Again, I spent a couple days here with the lawyers of the Catholic Bar Association. Uh, if you want sobering, take a look at the legal side of this discussion sometimes. Uh, but it's not without hope. And so before we go on to just a couple practicals, we want to come back to that reality. We want to come back to that context, which is what? God, infinitely perfect and blessed in and of himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, free, freely created man to share in his blessed life. And so God continues to, to work and to support, and he brings about movements such as covenant community uh, to bring life, to restore, to refresh, and to draw back a people to himself. 
Awesome, Steve. So we're, I, know, I know we're called to be a bulwark and we're called to be a prophetic people and we're called to be a servant people and we're called to proclaim, proclaim and gather, gather. Yes. leaven. Yes. You know, if I were smart, I would have saved. Oh, I did say. Oh, I did save one more and defend. Great, Steve. But how? I haven't shot anybody's eye out. That's good. How do we do that? We do that in two ways. And this is just a few concluding comments here. And then we'll go down and pray. And I'll let you go to lunch since I have, or dinner, since I have food up here. And I'm holding you from that. First, we do it as individual members. We be and we do as individual members. So we serve in the community and its outreaches. We do this by serving sound or setting up tables or in hospitality or leading a small group or in sound or setting up chairs or in sound. <laughs> plug, plug. Still looking for more help in the sound. No, it's, it's great. Um, or we do it in its outreaches. Again, we go back to our, our model of Fort Detroit. Is it those that stood on the rampart who were critical to the mission? Yes. Is it only those? No. If it were only those, would the fort survive? No. No. Is it the baker that's critical to the mission? Or the blacksmith? Or the cobbler? Yes. Is it only the blacksmith or the baker or the cobbler? No. Without all of it, internal and external, those going out and those defending the home front and provisioning the home front and preparing the home front, is it that we can survive? And so we're serving in the community and in its outreaches. Second, we open our lives through hospitality. I mentioned at the beginning this idea of these charisms. Covenant community has, as one of its charisms, expressive praise. And so we pray loud. And we pray expressively. But we also have a charism of hospitality. When we look at the bundle, there's a number of those that are about joining a table. It goes back to that gathering in. And so we do Lord's Day. And we're, we're hospitable. And we're welcoming. And we form a, a, a hospitable reality. We open our lives. I think there's a couple things about the community in St. Paul that have made it successful. Going back to the first point, I think one of those is the two outreaches that existed within the context of, of CCR, SPO and NET. There was a great turmoil in covenant communities in the late 80s and early 90s. And CCR made it through and is strong today, I think in part because they didn't have time to navel gaze. We had mission. We had SPO doing this and NET doing this. They were outward focused. I think there's another aspect of the success of the community in St. Paul is that Jim and Ann Kohler, so this is the founder, uh, the first senior coordinator of the community up there, opened their home. And they didn't just say, come pray with us or come have dinner with us. They said, come live with us. In over 30 years, 200 men and women lived with the Kohlers. Some of, some of that was for lengthy times. Uh, buddy Jesse, I think, was there for five years. Uh, a long time. Some of us, a little bit less. I was there for two weeks during net training. But they hosted People joined their life and they welcomed in men and we got up and we did morning prayer and we saw the life. And, and so these two, uh, serving uh, the community and having outreaches as well as uh, hospitality are very important. 
Since we're talking about the individual aspect of that, I kind of jumped the gun there. Well, anyway, since we're talking about the individual aspect of that, there's three components about living the life well that are important. First of all, it's daily. Community is not something we do the first Saturday and the third Sunday of the month, right? It's something that we're called to live. And so we meet as small groups for meetings, but then we also do things like have thanks miss. Our small group gets together and we celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas because we can't seem to find times to do each. So we do them together and we do thanks miss. And we get together. It's the life we live. And we don't just pray with our children when we're at community gatherings. We pray before dinner or before bed or when we get them up in the morning. It's our life that we live daily. It's the life that we live individually. And so if we're called to pray, I need to pray individually and we need to pray corporately. If I'm called to serve, I need to serve individually and I need to serve corporately. How do we serve corporately? Just a few final thoughts. As communities, we're again a people. We're not called to be a bulwark as a person. We're not called to be prophetic persons. We're not called to be servant persons. We're called to be a people. And so we do this collectively. And the call that we have into community is my call, but also the community's call. And so we have community outreaches, and we do SPO, and we do a young adult outreach, a formation program that we try to raise up our kids into conversion and into knowledge of Christ. We open our lives together. We welcome others into our midst. We do our gatherings, our men's retreat, our women's retreat. We invite people to the women's advent brunch, women's praise nights. The women seem to do a lot more of this. Well, we got meat fest. Men, we got meat fest. But we invite people into our lives. And finally, we support other communities. This idea of these fortified cities branching out, being another, being another, being another is something we can see. We're here as another fortified city coming from St. Paul. And we can look around the world and we can see communities in Syria coming from Lebanon. The community in the Philippines is now essentially four communities. They're too big. They get together once a year. They rent out an arena. They go to the Sprint Center for their community conference because they went out and, and here we are and there we're going to be and there we're going to be. And so they have these districts that are the size of the community in St. Paul. It's 1,800 adults. It's, in, it's, it's yeah. So we, we heard a little bit about the ICM meeting last year. It, it's crazy the, the strategic thought that has to go into surviving and living with that. Um, but we open our lives. We support other communities. We're in relationship with other communities. Uh, I don't think it's my call, but if some of you are called uh, as young married or as singles to go start a community in Colorado, I'd be happy to retire there. But there's, there's this, going back to this idea of being a prophetic people, if it's good for us, it's good for others. Uh, and, and so we, we want to be in relationship with other communities. We want to help other communities. We want to have a mind for starting other communities. Uh, and, and that's how we do this living as a bulwark uh, living a prophetic people, living as a servant-oriented people. Um, with that, I'll go ahead and bring my comments to a close, entertain any thoughts or questions you have. If you want to take the balls and launch them back at me at this time, you can do that. I'll duck most of them, I think. Any thoughts? I didn't actually look at the schedule. I'm pretty sure next time you'll be a, uh, discussing discipleship. So... With that, um, John, would you run real quick and just take a peek downstairs and see if they look like they might be close to... That'd be great. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
I sort of thought maybe we talked about this already. But I think uh, as somebody who thinks about mission, I think there could be for me a tendency of the working mentality to be like, I wish I could do more and reach out to people or something like that. Can you maybe talk about, especially for families, how that would fit into our following mission community? Yep. I think there's a couple comments I would make. I think, first of all, it, it, it's this dichotomy. In, in Christianity, we're, we're, we're just captured by this, this competing thought, right? We have God who is man and divine. Um, Trinity that is one, but three. So, so we kind of struggle with this. The life of the community is our mission. And so we ebb and flow through that. And what my life and community looks like as a single, it's going to be very different than what my life looks like as the parents of three, right? Um, or seven. Um, my, my role comes and goes and it changes. Uh, but there's an aspect of mission that is here. It's about maintaining the place that is refuge and provision and a place of influence. And, and so I, I think some of it is maintaining that first half of the mission but then the, the other half, and I think the part you're struggling with is, mission is out there. Like, God created us to share his blessed life, not with us, but with everyone. And, and so uh, if, if we have that good and we want to share it, everybody needs to see it. And, and so I, I think there's that tension, and I don't know that I have a good answer to it other than they're both mission and our lives ebb and flow. Um, SPO is manned to a great extent by singles and younger couples because the life, entering into relationship outside of the bulwark, is very intensive. And that's hard to do when you're further established. And so, so I'm happy to set up sound because I don't have time to go out and have lunch, you know, three times, four times a week uh, to build relationship. So um, I, don't, I don't know if that helps with some insight or it's, a, it's dancing around your question a little bit. Carrie, save me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I don't do that. And so for me, I'm having to like make myself think. I mean, I do this stuff, but really focus on well, my mission is in my home, and it's with my neighbors and at the birthday party, my mm-hmm. family birthday party mm-hmm. with my brother. Yep. And his wife is not Christian. And, you know, like that's my mission. It's at my own church. It's at my kid's school. It's, you know, at the grocery store or whatever. We all know that, but it's... It, it, it's good to articulate that. But I would actually say your mission extends further than that. It's with your small group. Because this body needs to be strong so that when people come to know about us, there's a place for them to go. And, and that's, that's where the influence happens. If I'm influencing you out here, it doesn't do any good to say, know Christ and go, have a good time. It doesn't work that way. And that's not the life that we're called to. So, so the mission is, is kind of twofold there. We're good downstairs. Any other questions? Thank you. Thank you. Let's go pray.